Welcome to She's a DPM, a platform for women to share their experiences, knowledge, and insights on cultivating a life in and outside the field of podiatric medicine and surgery. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is having a wonderful day, and I'm excited to announce that our special guest on the episode today is Dr. Kalani Parker. Dr. Kalani Parker has a strong military and medical professional experience as a doctor of podiatric medicine, and she is currently an experienced captain that has demonstrated history of working in the military, completed her comprehensive surgical residency from Legacy Health and Kaiser Permanente in Portland, Oregon. After residency, she is now an active duty podiatrist for the Department of Orthopedics at Carl R. Darnell Army Medical Center in Fort Hood, Texas, which is just outside of Austin, Texas. In today's episode, we discuss um, her involvement in the military and how that plays a role in practicing podiatric medicine. Dr. Parker is skilled in podiatric medicine and surgery, statistical data analysis, leadership, student development, data analysis, and research. I was excited to interview Dr. Kalani Parker for her unique um, insight into being an active duty podiatrist within the military and how that process looked uh, in medical school, surgical training, and now in practice. So let's get started. All right. Welcome to She's a DPM. I'm so excited. Today, our special guest is Dr. Kalani Parker. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Happy to be here. So as we know in the introduction, Dr. Parker is also um, an active role podiatrist in the military. So she's also a captain. So how would you like to be professionally addressed and today? Dr. Parker is fine. Okay. And then, um, do you go by Captain Parker in any situations? I do. So if I'm in a strictly military situation, I definitely go by Captain Parker. And even in my clinical settings, um, sometimes I'll have patients refer to me as Captain Parker. It just depends on what their background is, but either is appropriate. Okay. And I know that you completed your surgical residency training in uh, Portland, Oregon at the Legacy Health and Kaiser Permanente Residency. How was living in the Pacific Northwest? Do you miss it? <laughs> I mean, the Pacific Northwest is beautiful. Uh, it's always beautiful no matter what the weather is. And if you like the outdoors, there's always something you can do and new activities to try. Portland is its own beast, but it was yeah. definitely an experience living there. Good food. And now I know that you are an active duty um, for the Department of Orthopedics and the Army Medical Center at Fort Hood, Texas, which is just outside Austin, Texas. So I have to ask, wh- who keeps it weirder, Austin or Portland? Portland, 100%. <laughs> they, they are crowned the keep it weird. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> Um, just diving in, when did your calling to join the military begin? And can you kind of expand on like how you decided to, um, join the military? Yeah. So I did college at Creighton university in Omaha, Nebraska, and started my freshman year of college, like any other student. And during my first semester, uh, I met 
some people that uh, I thought were really interesting and they told me that they were in ROTC and I had no idea what that was. And the more I talked to them about it, it was something I was interested in. Um, in high school, I'd always been in athletics and knew that I performed better, better in academics when I was in something organized. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was missing that while I was in college. And so I, I started ROTC my second semester freshman year and just really excelled at it um, and then got a full tuition scholarship with it and then commissioned in 2013 as an officer. Uh, wow. So like your first semester, what like was getting into it? The second semester you joined ROTC. Mm -hmm. um, did you find that after joining ROTC and then taking your pre-med courses that you just said kind of like helps with the structure of um, kicking it, yeah, or like right. balancing the pre-med courses and having like this active role in ROTC? It, it helped me just because I always just do better when I have a structured environment like that. Uh, I don't know why, because I felt like I barely slept in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, we were in our um, early 20s, so yeah, exactly. felt, felt differently. <laughs> um, at what stage in your education did you discover podiatry and like, why did you want to become a podiatrist? So after my freshman year that summer, I started shadowing doctors and it was everything from infectious disease to cardio, uh, cardiology, um, and then actually the chief of orthopedic surgery at Creighton. And it was really with that orthopedic doctor that I fell in love with surgery. I mean, he was great. He took me like I was a resident, taught me like I was a resident. And I knew after being with him, surgery is what I wanted to do. Um, I was just so drawn to it and he made it so exciting. And he was actually someone that mentioned podiatry and said it was a really good profession that he worked with podiatrists and um, he thought that they had a better balanced lifestyle compared to other professions. And around that time, it wasn't just that doctor, I had other, like a pharmacist mentioned podiatry to me and it just oh, kept wow. coming up. Um, as some people mentioning that it was kind of a under the radar profession that they wish that they would have known about when they were my age. Um, yeah. So then I started shadowing a podiatrist in Omaha. Uh, and then it just all came together that it was exactly what I wanted um, in terms of the pathology that was being seen and the amount of surgery that he was getting to do. Uh, so I just went for it. Wow. That's actually like an invaluable experience, especially like in college, getting someone to take you under their wing per se and like uh showing you the ropes and being able to see the surgeries and how in depth um sometimes the medical field can be um any tips really quick for like anybody that's in college or looking to be pre-med or pre-podiatry and how you were able to contact those doctors or get them to be able to <laughs> shadow you do you remember <laughs> And I just cold called people. <laughs> like just put I literally, yourself out there. <laughs> yeah, I would just Google. Uh, so for the orthopedic surgeon, I just Googled, you know, the Department of Orthopedics, picked one of the guys, called a secretary, and they're like, yeah, show up tomorrow. Um, and I was just really lucky that I just happened to call the person that was the most open to having students. So yeah. I think a lot of it was luck. Um, but he was fantastic. And then for how I found a podiatrist, I think I went on it was maybe the Nebraska Podiatry Association. 
they have listed on there people who are designated mentors in the area. Mm-hmm. So I contact, contacted that office and he replied and it was actually one of his newer associates, Dr. Greenhagen, oh, yeah. um, that I ended up shadowing. Um, I saw them both, but the person who was listed, he was kind of at the end of his career. Um, so he was taking, he was, Dr. Greenhagen was kind of more open to students at that time. Understood. Okay. I think we, I did something similar, like, yeah, the online websites in the States have people that have um, like volunteered to have some students. So that's a great resource. Uh, how did you decide to per- start pursuing um, becoming a podiatrist while also knowing that you would be like an active member in the military? And what does that process entail? So I, during ROTC, and I was a biochemistry major, so I was also doing my pre-med courses, which kind of, you know, doubled up with biochem. Um, so during ROTC, I knew from the beginning I was pre-med and they were aware of that. And so with ROTC, you go two paths if you want to go to a graduate school. One of them is doing uh, HPSP, which is where the military uh you go to medical school and you become active duty while you're in medical school and they help pay for it. And then the other path is educational delay, which is a path I took. Okay. Uh, so it's where I have to get essentially permission from the army for me to go into the reserves after I commission while I go to medical school. And then for me, subsequently a civilian residency. Um, it's not common for people to get educational delay I had to submit this large packet and they had a review um, to make sure that I was someone that was trustworthy enough that they could like go kind of under the radar for a long period of time and Mm -hmm. do what I needed to do. I think out of the 5,000 cadets that commissioned my year, there was about seven of us that got educational delay. Wow. Um, So it's uncommon, but I think if it's something that you know that you're going to want to do, you just talk to your program early. Uh, so that they they're aware of it and can help you. Wow. I didn't know that that was seven out of 5,000. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is amazing. Um, and then since you were going into podiatry school, did that differ compared to like the osteopathic or allopathic medical schools, like trying to incorporate this educational delay or how many like podiatrists do the military accept or did that not really play a part since you did the educational delay versus the HBSB? I don't think it paid a part in terms of the educational delay acceptance. At the same time, I'm not on the other side of that board of them deciding who gets this educational delay. So that might've played a part in it if they saw a need for podiatrists and saw that I was going to podiatry school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not quite sure on that. I know for the application process, it's for me filling it out, it's the same no matter what graduate program that you're going into. Okay. And then say like, I wasn't part of ROTC in college, but say like if I was in um, med school or pre uh, podiatry school and I wanted to join the military, would that process, I'm not sure if you know, if would I be able to, while in podiatry or med school, be able to join the military? So at that level. <laughs> yeah. So if you finished college and you knew you wanted to go into podiatry school, you could do HPSP, but there's actually 
from my knowledge currently, HPSP is not offered for podiatry. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't an option for me. Educational delay was the option, but I know now there's other, um, I think the Air Force now offers HPSP for podiatry. I don't know about the Navy um, and I don't think the Army does, but that that's a way that osteopathic or allopathic physicians join the military. And I would say that's the most common way that they join us through HPSP right out of undergrad starting medical school. Okay. And then, so while going through the educational delay route, that means like you were able to go, you you were able to choose your externships and be able to um, apply to any of the residencies that you wanted to, correct? Yeah. They didn't have to have a say in where you went. Didn't play a part in either. I definitely, we do have a active duty military podiatry residency that I was interested in because I knew eventually I was going to be active duty. And so I did go there for my externships at Fort Bragg and um, interviewed with them and ranked them highly. But I primarily interviewed at civilian residencies. And the only part that the military played in all of this is that I had to get an extension of my educational delay for me to continue doing a civilian residency and so I had to get that approved and of course it's not guaranteed but luckily they did approve it for me. So you had to go through that whole the whole process again? It was much simpler since I was already part of it it was just like uh, I wrote a letter explaining why my civilian residency would be a benefit of the army and why it would make me different and it would be helpful Uh, and that was pretty much it for that application. And you did, you got an excellent surgical and um, clinical education uh, in Portland. I know of like starting uh, into second year, early third year, we start looking for jobs or additional training. How like for a civilian that probably looked different than you for um, post-residency job or what you like to call permanent change of station. Yes. So you had to go through a permanent change of station and apply for a job through that? So the PCSing is just kind of a generic term for any time you're changing your location, going somewhere for a new job. So for me, I talked to my branch manager who is essentially in charge of podiatrists, optometrists, and pharmacists. And so I contact and communicate with her to find out what openings are available at the various locations that we can go to and um, put in my recommendations. And then she comes back to me and lets me know, these are the spots that are available. Which one do you want? True. Fort Hood has been great. Um, It definitely has a reputation from some things that have happened there in the past year or so. Uh, But the hospital is brand new. My department is wonderful. I really like the pathology I get to see. It's one of the busiest departments in the whole um, DHA system, which the DHA system is the big umbrella system that looks over all of military health, not just the army. Yeah. Uh, and it's the biggest population and size in terms of like geographical size in the whole world. So wow. it's, yeah, it's a really big base. So are you, um, how many podiatric surgeons are at your base? 
Or... So we have two active duty, including myself, and then two civilian. Okay. And then can you expand on like what working on a military base is like? Like, I know you said great pathology. Um, there's also orthopedics there. Like, Correct. how's that relationship? So every podiatrist is always within the department of orthopedics. And so we work very closely with them. For me in my department, we have no foot and ankle orthopedic and none of them are really interested in foot and ankle pathology. And so they're, they funnel cases towards me. Um, if they get something in their own call, they'll just ask if I or the other podiatrists have availability to take it. Um, so that's been really helpful. Yeah, that sounds like a nice relationship. Yeah, um, it's a really good relationship. Is there a call schedule? And so we are on call about one week a month since there's four of us, you know, we each get one week. Um, but it's definitely not like what I had in residency. So our call is, I mean, it's very light. I, mean, I get a yeah. few calls a week and it's mostly other providers on post just asking questions and because um, we just see a lot of fractures and sprained ankles and sports medicine related injuries. So it's very few diabetic patients. Yeah. Um, what is the living like situation? Like, can do you live on base or can you live off base and then commute in? So I live off post and I can live, um, uh, base post is fine. Uh, I can live on post if I wanted to, but I live in Georgetown, which is a suburb North of Austin. And I commute from Georgetown to Fort Hood every day. Nice. Um, I'm going to circle back to this other question too, uh, besides fulfilling like the requirements that you needed for your residency surgical training, were there any additional requirements for the military that you had to complete in residency as well, or even now during practice? So besides just my usual med school residency and all the boards we have to take, yeah. um, I obviously commissioned as an officer. And I already talked about how I did the educational delay, but you can do the HPSP or the USUS, which is the Uniform Services University of Health Science, which is like the Army Medical School, um, or you can direct commission. But during ROTC, I did LDAC, which is the Leadership Development Assessment course. Uh, and then I commissioned. And then just last year, when I transitioned back to active duty, I did BOLIC, which is the Basic Officer Leadership course. And now I'm at Captain's Career course currently at Fort St. Houston. So you're just like building on leadership and, Correct. and skill sets. So, um, right now I know you said you're at the captain's career course and so what are, what's your day-to-day -day look like doing that? So a lot of coursework, presentations, briefing and paper writing. So a big part of this course is better understanding the army health system and not just the army, but also the Navy, Air Force, et cetera, and going more into the administrative aspect, planning aspect of it. And it's really complex and it's totally different than the civilian healthcare system. And so it's interesting. And I'm glad I'm here because I am learning a lot um, that I otherwise wouldn't have time in my normal day-to-day yeah. schedule. So it's, it sounds like you're learning like the back end of the healthcare system that you're in. Correct. And then you're able to hopefully like, um, expand that into your practice to be able to further help your patients. 
that and just in general in the military as you progress you get more in leadership more roles and more in administrative roles and so you need that background of how the system works in order to plan and lead others um what are some resources for younger women who want to follow a similar career path in podiatry and the military I think the best thing is to always get in touch with someone who is in that position and hear what their experiences are from it. I think that was helpful for me when I was in undergrad deciding what path I wanted to take of not just talking to osteopathic or allopathic, but talk to pharmacists, PAs, podiatrists, and hear how they like their profession and things that they feel like is good about it and bad about it so you can figure out if it's the right career for you because I know prior to doing that I had my own ideas and then after talking to certain professionals I decided it wasn't the career path for me yeah I think that's a great advice because I mean the healthcare system is so I mean there's there's something for anybody out there that wants to be involved whether that's even administrative versus um more like a healthcare professional, uh, and that there are a lot of other options other than MDDO while you can still help people and make a difference. And potentially, like you said, I know podiatry, they say like, it's a good work-life balance, but you can, you can choose that too, as busy or make it into anything that you want it to be, whether that's more clinical, surgical, or academic or administrative. So great point. I think a common misconception when I tell people that I'm a podiatrist in the army is that they think I work for the VA system and I work for an active military, active duty military base where I primarily see active duty soldiers or families and some veterans. Um, So majority of my practice is trauma and sports medicine. Um, Very few diabetics just because we're just not seeing that age population. Yeah. That, that's a, thanks. That's a great point that you're truly treating kind of the active duty members right now. Um, are there some podiatrists, like you just said, there's a more podiatrists in the military, um, that have joined. Are you able, would you have been able to work for a VR? That's more of a civilian coming in. So that would be either a retired provider uh, that was previously active duty working in the VA or a civilian working in the VA, but I would not. Mm-hmm. I'm only active duty. Okay. Um, some final thoughts and questions that I like to ask. What is something outside of podiatry um, or that you're like currently learning or starting to do like a, an activity or anything? I've been learning how to smoke meat. <laughs> what? <laughs> so okay. We have a green egg. And recently smoked a brisket. Are you a Texan now? I know, right? (laughs) And I don't know if it's because of green egg and those are just really awesome, but it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. But is it like the different kind of um, like wood that you burn and like the green egg, does that play a role in like what kind of smoked meat you're like making or? I mean, you have like you can get pecan, you can get like, there's different types of woods that you can smoke. Yeah. Personally, I can't really tell the okay. a lot of times. Uh, it's just like, I have a couple different varieties and I just kind of mix them all together and mix up. Smoke. Yeah. 
you like soak the wood in water first so that it gets really smoky when you're smoking the meat. I'm going to um, have to come to Texas and uh, yeah, you're going to smoke a brisket. Yeah. <laughs> that's exciting. That's cool. That's something. That's my weekend thing is smoking meat. I, it's like a whole process because I have to like with the chicken, you have to soak it in brine for like 30 minutes and then you have to season it and then normally have it send the seasoning overnight and then the next day it's a whole process getting like the smoker to the right temperature what time do you have to wake up to like say you're smoking a chicken like (laughs) how much time so chicken like just takes I mean if you're doing it like 250 and I normally just do chicken thighs it takes like a little over an hour brisket depending on the size of the brisket can take like anywhere from like four hours to like 12 hours but I normally start like mid-morning. But I bet it's really good. So <laughs> it good. <laughs> well, that's cool. Um, yeah. And then it, what is a tip you wish you could tell your younger self about pursuing a career in podiatric medicine and surgery? So I think the hardest lesson for me to learn, especially in my 20s, was being okay with not knowing an answer. Yeah. And feeling like, saying I didn't know meant that I was incompetent or I, I wasn't enough. Uh, and then eventually learning that it's okay to not know everything. Um, but it's not okay to pretend that, you know, or to give up trying to understand what the answer is. Uh, and it's, I think it's really important to constantly have that curiosity and willingness to find whatever answer or whatever questions in front of you and finding out what that answer is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is such a good tip because I'll, I'll tell anybody that's listening that maybe is still in training or is a student that even the attendings don't know everything. So don't be afraid that when you don't know something, we're all out here trying to learn and better ourselves for our patients. So that's a great point, Dr. Parker. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm, I learned a lot. I didn't know half of this process. Um, and I feel like I've, I've known you for quite some time. So I hope that somebody listening that maybe is going is interested in podiatry or, and being in the military gain some insight. Are there any resources that you could share? Um, or if someone was looking to get more information and following the same path as you where they should go, they can always contact me. Uh, so if they, what would be the best way for what, how do you want to be contacted? (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Um, what would you like, which would you mind sharing your email? If anybody would like to contact you. Kalani, K-A-L-A-N-I 707 at gmail.com. Well, great. Well, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you this morning and, um, good luck at the, it's a CCC. Yes. Good luck at the CCC and um, looking forward to seeing everything that you do in the future. So thanks for interviewing with us today. Thanks for having me. Email me at droxman at gmail.com. The address is in the show notes below. And let me know if there's a topic or if you know a kick-ass lady who should be interviewed. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to hearing your comments and suggestions on the podcast. And remember stay uncomfortable. That's where we grow.